we start a brand new sermon series today, uh, which means the next few weeks we're going to be talking about one idea and breaking it down multiple ways. So for all the first time guests today, I got to say thank you for coming to church. Family, you know what to do. Let's make some noise for all of our first time guests. Come on. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, they made it here for the first time. Thank you so much for saying yes to the invitation that somebody from this house gave you. I got I to gotta let you know, the member of this house that invited you, they love you. They've been praying for you. We've been praying for you to be here. You're not on here on accident. You're here on purpose and for a purpose. And I believe the Holy Spirit will plant a seed in your heart today. But today should not be the end of your church experience. Come on, let's make some noise. Today's only the beginning of what God has for you. And to the church members, I pray from now to next week that God will put family in your heart, co-workers, neighbors, to bring to the house of the Lord that they may too find life and life in abundance. We start a new series today. And we're, we're going to talk about stewardship for the next few weeks. So I, I, I kind of like, I told the staff, I was like, what do you think about this name? And it's stuck. And, and the title of this series is uh, Steward Little. Come on, somebody make some noise for this title. Come on, somebody. Uh, Steward Little. This series has nothing to do with the movie, um, but everything to do with stewardship. Because I believe, here's the whole series in a sentence, that I believe that if you steward little, that God will give you more. Come on, if you believe that, can you shout amen? What the next three weeks of church are going to be about, listen, still come, but hello. The next three weeks, hey, hey, if you steward little, no, honestly, we take notes because sometimes we leave church with a bunch of feelings and no information. So it's a fail if you go to dinner after this and someone says, what did you hear at church today? I don't know, but I felt the presence of God. Yes, you felt the presence of God, but God also gives you information to change your life. God doesn't just want you to feel his spirit, but he wants to give you a revelation that will change the course of your life. Anybody taking notes today? Here's the definition of stewardship. It's the job. I want to stop right here. Listen, you have a job given to you by God. Some of us, this is information. Some of us, we've been hearing this since we were younger. There is an assignment on your life given to you by God. If you believe that, shout amen. In other words, you've been placed on this earth by God and by his grace, and he didn't just give you life with no purpose. He didn't just give you a race to run with no destination, but he's actually giving you instructions and an opportunity to manage and steward some of the things and all the things that he's given to us. There's a job when it comes to stewardship. There's a job. It's the job of supervising or taking care of someone else's property. Uh, here's a cool example. If you slept over my house, I have a guest room. If you slept over and, and I said, hey, in the morning, I'm going to have some breakfast. Oh, I'm sorry. My wife's going to have some breakfast for you in the morning. Her arepas are way better than mine. I'm not even going to try to make some arepas. Um, but she's going to have some breakfast for you in the morning. Um, when I greet you at the door in that morning, I can imagine most of us. When I enter the room, that you would have the bed ready. How many of you guys, you staying at someone else's house, before you leave that room, you're going to make the bed. Come on, friend, family, whoever. What are you saying? When you leave that bed, you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not my bed. This is their bed. These are my sheets. This is his sheets. This is my pillow. It's his pillow. So I'm going to leave this better than how I even found it. But that's not really true with our homes, is it? Right? When we leave our room, we don't have that impression. Why? Because there's a difference between sleeping in someone else's room than sleeping in our room. In other words, 
we're not too responsible sometimes with our property. Sometimes we're more responsible with other people's property. And I want to give you this idea real quick. Everything in your life, everything you have, even your being and, and, and your actual creation, you, your life, your, your, your job, your family, your gifting, your voice, everything you have is given to you by God. Somebody, if you believe that, shout amen. amen. And, and I think so many times Christians confuse this reality that everything that I have is not mine, but everything that I have has been given to me by God. I think sometimes we treat our families like we own them and not like God owns them. Sometimes we treat things in our life. See, whenever we walk into a scenario or a, a, a lane in all of our lives, thinking we're the owners, that's probably a place that we're not stewarding. That's probably a place that we're not taking care of the most. Here's the truth. I did not bargain God when I was born. I remember being in elementary school. Uh, my teacher told me, uh, did you know, John, that uh, before you were born, you had to fight to get into your mother's womb. Actually, you and a gazillion of your siblings were fighting at the same time to enter your mom's egg and enter her womb. Dude, and I remember learning that, like, and then literally she told me, like, did you know, John, you're a survivor. You're a fighter and you're a survivor. Out of all the bazillions of children that were running to the womb, you're the one that made it. And I remember being like, oh, yeah. But then, like, awkwardly, it's like, I don't remember fighting for my life. Does anybody have a memory, come on, of trying to enter the anybody? Yeah, no one. <laughs> we don't remember that. We, I, I, here's the thing. I, I didn't ask to be born. God made me and he designed me. I didn't bargain with the Lord for my height. Obviously. If I had to pick my height, I'd say, Lord, make me six foot one. You know what I'm saying? Something about like short people. Make us tall. We will rule the world. I promise you. Give a, give a short man six inches. He's going to change the world. I did not bargain for my height. I didn't bargain for my voice. See, if I had to pick my voice, it would be a culmination of Thor and Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> I don't even know what that sounds like, but that don't sound like me. You know what I'm saying? I, actually, I heard a sermon of mine the other day, and I was like, I sound a little lighter than I do in my head. My wife was like, yes, you sound how you sound. I was like, awesome. I did not bargain for my hair color. You didn't bargain for those beautiful blue-green eyes you have. They look awesome. But you didn't ask for it. You didn't bargain for it. What does that mean? Everything we have, even the root of my existence, is a gift from God. That means that I am not my own. My house, my car, my finances, my job, my family. Can I tell some parents in here? Your children are not yours. They are God's children. You did not have a say in, in, in what type of child was, God designed your children. Amen? I want to read to you a verse, Psalms 24.1. This verse will change your life. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all who dwell therein. That's Psalms 24. That's the first verse of today. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Thank you. And the world and all all who dwell therein. In other words, everything is the Lord. Some people think, oh, Saudi Arabia, that's not God's, that's not God's land. America's God's land. No, no, no. Everything in the world belongs to God. Everything. And not just everything, but, but 
everyone and those who dwell. Everything belongs to the Lord. I have a question for you. My, my first question today. Name one thing that you have that God didn't give you. You can't. So what does that mean? That means that I'm not an owner. I am a manager. I'm a steward. The devil wants you to think that your calling belongs to you so that you'll never give it back to God. When we're worshiping, the devil wants you to think you have every right to hold your voice. But that's a lie. Your voice is not yours. Your voice is given to you by God. My Bible says in the book of Genesis that God took dust. He formed man and he breathed life into man. When you give your breath back to God, you know you're only worshiping on borrowed breath. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. The reason why some of us have been in church all our lives and we've never given to God in our finances is because you believe the lie that the money in your life belongs to you and it doesn't belong to God. That is a lie from the enemy. I am not an owner. I am a manager of everything that God has given me. We say this all the time in church. We talk about tithes and we talk about offering. We talk about serving. We talk about all the gifts inside of you. I have a question to all the parents in the room. Let's talk about your gifts for a second. When your children look at you and how you operate in their gifts, if your children would steward their gifting the way you steward your gifts, what would their life look like? If your children served in the church like you serve in the church, how, how committed would they be to the house of God? If your children gave to the vision of the house that God is calling you to, like you did, what would their giving look like? You see, it's a responsibility to say, I'm not just going to get this whole stewardship thing for me. I've got to get it right for the next generation. I've got to be an example, not only for my kids, but the children of this house. Not only for my blood children, but for the young people in the house. I pray when they see me, they see someone who is committed. I pray when they see me, they see someone who's generous. Because my life's not even really about me. It's about what I'm leaving behind. A legacy of service and obedience. Pastor John just said earlier, we're about to get into the offering. But listen, this is a different type of worship. Offering and worship are not separate from one another. They're the exact same thing. The altars in the Old and New Testament was a place of sacrifice. The altar is in the Old and New Testament was a place of laying down. The altar was always a place of tithe. Always a place of sacrifice. And I want to talk for that for a moment because I want you to think about the gifts in your life. I want you to think about your family. What traditions are you putting in place for your children to follow once you're gone? What will your children remember about all the tap potential that you have, all the giftings that you have? Will you be a good steward or be a bad steward? I want to define what the word tithe is because we say it a lot in church, but we got to teach Listen, at this church, we're always going to teach even things that you think is simple. Because we're a church for those far from Jesus. If you believe that, shout amen. amen. Come on. Tithe is one-tenth, which is 10%, of annual produce or earnings. This is a biblical mandate from God to his people. Do you want to know if your tithing has been on point this year? Look at your salary and find 10% of that. Was that given to the house of God? 
my wife and I, every time we get paid, we come together, we put our checks together, we find 10%, we go, God, in the name of Jesus, I believe in your word that when I give 10%, I'm better 90% blessed than 100% cursed. I pray, I pray right now, God, that you take this 10% and you multiply it. You take this 10% and you send it to the nations. You take this 10% and like the little boy with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish, that you would feed the masses, that you'd feed thousands of people with my obedience God and I know that if you're telling me to give it's because you're entrusting me to give and if you're entrusting me to give you're ready to outpour back into my life if you believe that can you shout amen at the 12 o'clock service I was at a conference uh, a few days ago here in Orlando and I was at a conference with the partners that we partnered with as a church called Convoy of Hope if you uh if you were here a few months ago and you you were here, you caught Pastor Manny Rosario. Uh, he's one of the lead fi uh, field team leaders of this massive organization called Convoy of Hope. You're going to hear a lot about them as we move forward. Why? Because we partner as a church with Convoy of Hope. What does that mean? That every dollar you give, every tithe you give, every offering you give, not only do we keep the lights on in here, not only do we do outreach, not only do we have a hired staff, not only do we bless the nations, not only do we plant churches, not only do we give to other churches, but we are consistently giving and responding to crisis going on all over the world. I saw a video in this conference of what, what Convoy of Hope is doing in Ukraine. And did you know that when you give a dollar, Convoy of Hope tur turns that dollar into $10? Because they're, they're connected with big organizations like Coca-Cola and Walmart and different uh, companies that they say, you know what, we'll give you a fraction of the price of what a water bottle is. So in other words, this, this company, this organization called Convoy of Hope is saying, pastors, don't, 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 don't raise $1,000 to, to buy a trailer. Give us $1,000. And that literally turns into $10,000 because of the fraction of the cost. In other words, in our hands and with our connections, your dollar goes forward 10 bucks. I was talking to a pastor that their church tried to start something like Convoy of Hope and without resources and without connections and without networking. They raised a million dollars for Fort Myers and, 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 and trucks and transportation and in food and water. And the director of Convoy of Hope told me, John, if they were to give us one million, we would have turned that into 10 million. Would they pay for one water bottle? We would pay 25% of that price. Why am I talking about Convoy of Hope and, and God expanding what we're doing? Because every time you give to this house, you know that you are giving to Ukraine. I, I watched the video of Ukraine, and, and there's a guy in the video, boots on ground, literally speaking to the news anchor about how dangerous it is for them to get their Convoy of Hope trucks through the Russian army to get to remote places in Ukraine. Literally, all the truck drivers, they ride with vests. They ride with their arms, and they are taking convoy. And you know, you know what, you know what's in that convoy of hope bus? A new birth stamp logo with your giving and your tithing and your generosity. So, friends, you don't have to sometimes fly to Ukraine, but when you're obedient to God, God is taking the little you give, and He's blessing the world. You may not have been in Fort Myers during what happened, but convoy was there, and we sent convoy. And we blessed them. And I met a, I was in North Carolina a few weeks ago, and I met a minister that said, yo, I was in Fort Myers, and 
and I'm so excited for what God's going to do in my life because I'm ready to jump into leadership. I'm like, was it, was it the, all the food? He says, no, it wasn't the food. It wasn't the water bottles. It was seeing the church of Jesus come together in my local church. It was seeing hundreds of people come and volunteers come and bless our community. Church, I want to tell you, you may look at your tithe as something little, but God is calling us to steward the little so that much will be produced out of that. Come on, if you believe that, can you shout amen in the church today? Matthew chapter 19, this very next verse, let's put on screens. Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I know you're looking at me like, I am not rich. I'm broke like a joke. That ain't funny. I got more debt than, than anybody in here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not the rich man. We ain't rich. I'm not rich. Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to get to the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24 says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. That's a great metaphor, Jesus. Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is not speaking... And, 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 you know, Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's in yesterday, today, and tomorrow. When Jesus says it's hard for rich man to get into heaven, it's not something he's predicting that he hasn't seen. No. He's also in eternity saying, I, I know one day people will, will try to make it to heaven, but their greed will knit them to the world. It's hard for a rich man to get into heaven because rich men and women don't believe they need God because money is their God. So why do I need a healer if I can pay for any doctor? So why do I need a provider if I can provide for my family? And many times people who are in love and serve money, money is one of the few things that Jesus says you can't serve me and both money. Because Jesus knows what greed and the love of money will do to your soul. It will corrode your soul. It will destroy everything in your life. Pastor, I'm not the rich man in that story. Um, I remember Mr. Kehau in my, in, my, in my high school studies. He was my geography teacher every single day. I don't know if he was saved or not. I think he was. Every single day, he'd look at the whole classroom. I'll never forget the statistic. Every single day, he said, class 90, I think I have the, 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 the statement he'd say, 90% of the world lives on $1 a day. Outside of America, 90% of the world lives on $1 a day. Your one day of wages blows out someone's lifetime of wages. 90% of the world lives on $1 a day. You make more than $1 an hour. And they go eight hours, nine hours walking miles to and from to get $1. 95% of the world lives on $2 a day. And I want to give you this. Listen, you are the rich man in the story. Globally speaking to the human race. Because Jesus is not speaking to America. Jesus, in this verse, he speaks to the globe. And in comparison from you and your life and your house to the world, you're filthy rich. You're the rich man. You're the rich man. And Jesus knows sometimes we forget what money can do to us. Money can make you think that you're the owner and not the manager. Money can make you think that you don't need God. But can I tell you, when it rains, when it slows, when I'm blessed, when I'm under, God is the owner of everything. And I am simply a manager of everything that God has given me. 
I'll put it this way. This is my next point. I'll put it this way. Don't let what God called you to manage, manage you. Don't let what God called you to manage, manage you. You're called to steward your money, but now you can't afford to give to God. That sounds like your money is managing you. You, you, God's calling you to be generous, but you're in so much debt. And I'm looking forward to these next few weeks to look out ways, and we're going to study. And I'm not the financial guy of the church, but I really believe that, you know, we're studying for this, and we're getting some information. There's ways and there's, there's tips and tricks to, to come up on a couple hundred dollars extra a month to save and get out of debt. Come on. I believe some people in here need to get out of debt. God's going to do something supernatural in your life. He will get you out. Because here's the thing. If you are a slave to debt, you're not a master of the Lord. You're a master to your debt. If you're a slave to debt, Jesus isn't your master. Your master is your debt collector. Don't let what God called you to manage, manage you. Anybody receiving this word today? Luke chapter 16 verse 10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little. And this is when I'm going to teach. Somebody say teach. Can you tell the person next to you, hey, he's about to teach. He's about to teach. He's about to teach. He's about to teach. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, I'm an idiot. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So we say, no, 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 I'm not going to be faithful with my little. When God gives me more, then I will be faithful. Jesus say, no, you got it backwards. If you're faithful in the little, see what God would do. If you steward the little, see what God would bring into your life. So if it, I can't be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with the very little will also be dishonest with much. And verse 11 says, so if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? This is the teaching part. You see right next to wealth, it says worldly. Jesus is saying there's worldly wealth and there's true riches. There's worldly wealth, but there's also true riches. In other words, how you handle the boot camp of planet Earth will determine what you get in the next life. Money with Benjamin Franklin on it does not compare to the currency of heaven. Money with men and women on the front, currency from this world, does not compare to true wishes that will last for eternity. Jesus is blowing it up right here. He said, listen, if you can't handle a couple bucks a year, if you can't handle earthly money, what makes you think that God will give you responsibility in the next life? And this challenges most of us. Why? Because we grew up in the church and we made relationship with God all about getting to heaven. We made our Christianity all about, hey, I'm making, at least I'm going to heaven. No, no, no. Did you know in the next life there's responsibility? In the next life there's ranking. In the next life there is assignments. In the next life there are riches that are true and forever. I don't know about you, but when I compare this worldly wealth to eternity in heaven, when I compare this world, God, you can take anything now because I know what's coming in the next life. God, I'm going to be obedient with the little. What is a trillion dollars of man's money compared to eternity and resources in heaven? So are we reverses that say, why gain the whole world but lose your soul? So my next point is this. Live in the understanding that this life is preparing you for the next one. And everything you have is not final. It is not your, it's not your property. You are a manager, a steward 
of what God has given you. Let's say I have three children. Uh, I'm planning to have three children. My wife wants four. I want two, so we're going to meet at three. And if we have twins, I guess it's over. If, if you were a babysitter and I'd be like, hey, you know what? I'm not going to throw all my three kids at you. I don't want you know, to run you nuts. So I'll give you one child, and, and let's, see, let's see how you do today. I'll ask the worship team to come up. I'm, I'm over time. Um, and, I, and I'll give you one of my children. I'm going like, to, hey, take care of him today. If I meet with my son after, I, I mean, you know, I can't wait to have a son. He'll have some curly hair. If I meet with my son after that day and he's like, Daddy, I'm hungry. I'm like, What? Why didn't they feed you? You know, if he's like young enough too, like, Daddy, I'm, I gotta change my diaper. Like, they didn't change you? You know what I do to the, to the babysitter? I'd say, you know what? I can't trust you with my child. Because you're treating that baby like it's yours. That baby isn't yours, that baby is mine. Let's flip it. Let's say my, my son comes back. Smelling like cocoa butter. You know what I'm saying? Smelling good. Stuffed. You know, a little bit more chunkier than how I turned him in. It's a bit more chunky. Smelling like, 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 like. I don't even know what baby. Babies just smell awesome. I love the way babies smell. We should make the lobby smell like babies. That's where my mind is at while I'm preaching, by the way, if you wonder. And my son just had the best time. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, hey. Thank you for taking care of my one child. Now can you take care of two? Because I trust you with one. I can trust you with two. Why would God give you two houses if you're not managing the one you have now? Why would God give a new relationship if all your relationships is block, cancel, reject, block, cancel, reject, block? I can't trust you. Why would God give you a business if you're going to run it down to the ground? Why would God give it to you if it's, you see, a blessing out of time is a curse. And you and I need to live this life saying, God, I'm going to take this little I have. In comparison to eternity, this is little. This, this is petty change compared to what God's going to give me in the next life. And if you steward the little, watch what God would do. It says in Malachi verse 3, verse 10, chapter 3, bring all the tithes. Somebody say 10%. What is a tithe? What is a tithe? We, we do tithes and offering at church. Tithe is 10. Offering is everything above that. We're collecting an offering for next year. It's called 365 Offering. We've been announcing it for two weeks. Meaning, before the year's up, maybe on Thanksgiving Day or maybe for some of us on New Year's Day, maybe some of us January 1st, we're giving an offering of $365 representing the next year, a dollar a day, saying, God, you're going to bless every day next year. I want to give a testimony. My wife and I, last year, we heard about this in, in November. And, you know, you don't get into ministry if you want money. So uh, we, we looked at each other. That's a lot. Um, dipped into our savings a little bit. Let's, let's give this. Let's, let's give 365. Let's do it. And, we, you know, <laughs> Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about tithing, guys. I'm talking about what? I'm not talking about tithes. What am I talking about? Listen, tithing is obedience. That's why tithing is worship. You may be singing these songs. How do rocks worship? Because they're where God told them to go. How does 
do mountains worship because they're still where God told them to go. They're obedient. How is water worshiping God? Because water literally hears from the Lord to stop right there. How are the stars worshiping God? Because they're the same. They're obeying God, so they're worshiping God. I remember giving this offering and, and like, baby, <laughs> Holy Spirit. And then you got to give it a cheerful heart because God's not a vending machine. I don't give to get. I give in obedience. We gave it out. What's up? And last month, I had no clue. Had no clue in September that in October, I'd travel to four different cities. And God brought to me more than what I gave. I'm, I want to tell you the testimony. Test God and watch what he does. Obey God. You see, the devil wants you to think that you'll be cursed for being obedient. That's a lie from the enemy. It says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Let's keep reading. Bring your tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Where? 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 I remember a young adult saying, Pastor, I tithe my time. No, you don't. You got to tithe your money. <laughs> your resources. You know, the Bible says 10% of your offering goes to the Lord. Any, any Christians in here? Come on. It's getting a little quiet. If you obey me says the Lord of heavenly armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. You know why he says windows and not doors? Because houses have more windows than doors. If you're obedient, I'm not going to open the front door. I'm going to blow open every single window and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to take care of you because if you steward the little, watch what I will do in your life. If you take care of this right now, watch what I will produce in your life. The verse keeps going. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't even have enough room to take it in. And then he says, put me to the test. 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 I hear God say, try me, try me, try me, try me, try me, try me. Get obedient, try me. Get obedient, try me, try me, try me, try me. I'm not a man that I would lie. And when I say my word, I keep my word. I will open up a window in your life that you can't even contain. Try me, try me, try me, try me, try me. I got more children for you. Try me, I got more blessing for you. Try me, I got a new job on the way. Try me, I'ma open up a door. Try me, I'ma make a way in the wilderness. Try me, I'll make a road in the desert. Try me, try me, try me, try me, try me, try me, just try me. Jesus doesn't say try me to anything else, but in the giving, he says, oh, oh, test me, test me. Because what you have is not yours, it's mine anyways. Test me, test me, test me, test me, test me. I will open up windows. I'll put it this way. Next point, if you treat little things like big things, God will give you big things like they're little things. Treat little things, just 10% like big things. God will give you big things like they're little things. Anybody receiving a word today? Let me tell you this one time. You look the most like God when you're giving. 
you look the most like Jesus when you're giving. Here's why. Because God doesn't owe you nothing. What does God owe you? Nothing. I read Genesis and I find out I'm dust. I'm dirt, I'm dust, and God breathed life into dirt. I look the most like God when I give. How do we know? Most famous verse. Atheists know this verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. That for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He loved. You know what? I, I, I imagine the angels saying, God, you sure you want to send your one and only son? Romans 8.28. To die for sinners your grace even reaches to those who aren't even holy yet your love is for those who don't even know you yet your grace and your mercy jesus what are you doing god what are you doing why would you send your son to die for these rebellious people for all these sinners they've turned their backs on you some of the people that know that jesus died still turn their backs on him i imagine the angels saying god what are you doing why are you sending you don't have 30 sons you only have one son and you're not calling him to live in a kingdom oh but he was born in a manger you weren't calling him to be this baller come on he says the the son of man has nowhere to rest his head god are you calling this son to suffer and to die why are you doing that god i could just hear god looking at the angels saying listen i do this because this is who i am i give because this is who i am i give because i love i give because if I'm going to ask someone to give, I have to model what I'm asking. Jesus does the same thing. He says, hey, I picked up my cross. Now you pick up your cross and follow me. Let me give you this last point. If you can steward the little, God will give you more. Come on, if you believe that, can you stand up on your feet today? Come on, can we begin to bless the name of the Lord in this place? Come on, anybody ready to steward? Worship team, come on up, please, everybody. Let's come up, let's come up. Holy Spirit, you're in this room. You're in this place. Come on, every head by every eye closed in the room if you feel comfortable. The Holy Spirit's here. For God so loved that he gave. He so loved that he gave. Today we're leaving with instructions, with an assignment to be obedient and what God's calling us to do. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life and no one goes to the Father but through me. If you're here right now and you're like, yo, if Jesus was to come back right now, I don't know what side of eternity I would be in. Maybe you're here today saying, if Jesus were to return right now, I'm not sure if, if I'm in relationship with him. If I am a friend of God. Listen, today is the day for salvation. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes in this room. If you're here today and you want to respond to the message with your life, you want to respond to the message and say yes to God. Maybe it's the first time in a long time you said yes. Or maybe it's the first time you ever said yes to God. Whatever it looks like. If you want Jesus on the count of three, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand as a sign of surrender. If you want Jesus. Here we go. Even if it's one person. Come on, don't be the last one though. Here we go. If you want Jesus, raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Come on, I see one hand. I see two hands. I see three hands. Amen. I see four hands. Come on, anybody else? Come on, keep your hands up. Church, can we celebrate? I see five hands. Come on, can we celebrate? The Bible says, come on, six hands. 
seven hands. Eight hands, I see you. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Thank you, eight friends, for saying yes to Jesus. The Bible says to be saved, you got to say a prayer. Let's repeat this prayer. Come on, every head bow, every head, go say, Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Right my wrongs. Forgive my sin. I love you. Today is the beginning of a new creation. I have faith in Jesus that I am saved. And everyone says, amen. Yo, eight people said yes to God today.